take your Bible tonight and look at Job 3 and verse number 11. Go to the book of Job and look with me, if you will, please, at uh, chapter number 3 and uh, verse number 11. Uh, there is one word that keeps re- reoccurring in this context we'll study tonight that I want to do my best to try to give you some explanation. I sure can't give you uh, any kind of an authoritative judgment on it. But I want to give you, if I can, some encouragement on the whys of life. Or, or God, where are you when I need you? Uh, in this portion, notice what it said. Job said this, Why died I not from the womb? In other words, why wasn't I stillborn? Why didn't my mother miscarry? Why wasn't I born dead? Because living has been worse. Notice what he says. Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Now, I'm going to tell you, this man is in the ash heap of life. Verse 12, notice what it starts off with. Why did the knees prevent me? Or why did my mother push? And why did her knees and her hips and and her childbearing ability go in order? Why did that thing happen like it did? And I lived through that, he said. And notice what he said. Or why the breast that I should suck. In other words, the milk should have dried up for my substance, and I I certainly should have died. For now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. That word slept means slept and slept and continued to sleep as one dead. Then had I been at rest, We'll stop right there. Our Father, as we pray tonight, I sure do want to ask that you would anoint me to preach a little bit different kind of sermon for me, but one these people need to hear. I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to us and through us during this time. I need your help, Lord. And I plead right now, church, I want you to pray. I want you to help me to help these people. I ask you tonight to work in a very special way and answer some questions for us. If you would see fit, Lord, those things you don't want to tell us, that'll be perfectly all right. We'll we'll try not to question you. We'll try not uh, to argue with you. We'll try to live by faith, as Brother Travis so adequately said tonight. And I pray you'll help us as we try to answer this question. God, where are you when I need you? I pray in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. You can have a seat. Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. She was 36 years old. He was 26 years old when they were brutally murdered in the prime of their young adult lives. I don't
have any authority to go any further and explain that situation because I have found out when you don't know, it's better not to say. But the facts that I do have, I'll tell you, they had the trial and all of us uh, just about could stand up and tell everybody else where you was when that verdict came that afternoon. I was in Yadkinville, North Carolina, preaching in a meeting when they pronounced over the television that he was innocent, not guilty. Uh, the other day, I saw that verdict again, and they put the camera on Nicole Brown Simpson's mother's face. She lip-synced as that camera panned on her, and here's what she said when her hands went to her face. She said, Oh, God, where are you now? I don't know why everything that happens, whether it's the Holocaust, whether it's the killing fields of Cambodia, or whether it's a London bombing in a train station, or two buildings staggered to the ground on 9-11, or a tsunami that in one day drops not just hundreds or thousands but hundreds of thousands, in one day sweeps them from their tropical paradise into eternity. I don't know why that happens. I don't know why Feed the Children are on television showing massive starvation of millions of children around the world. And you cannot deny when you look at them the reality of evil. There are three types of evil, I'm told. Moral evil committed by willing people uh, that cause such things as war and crimes and cruelty and, and racism and suicide bombings and all that we're seeing in the war and all that we're seeing in terrorism today. There is moral evil. There's natural evil. That involves things like hurricanes and floods and Dennis just went through Florida, and I'm getting all kinds of letters and all kinds of uh, people asking for help and churches asking us to support the relief effort down there. That's a natural disaster. That's, that just happened the other day. And then there's social evil, like poverty and hunger and homelessness. I sure am glad we've got an old boy in this congregation and his family that was burdened enough to make a dent in the homeless population on the streets of Augusta. I'm glad tonight for the rescue mission called Garden City. I praise the Lord and thank God. Not because they're from here. I'd praise God if they were from somewhere else. But I'm glad to know tonight that God does what he can to reach people in these evils, but it doesn't stop the evil. I, the question roars to my ears often, whether here or somewhere else, why did my little girl die of cancer? Or my little five-year-old nephew that I buried, my sister's son, that was stricken with leukemia, and died with his mother praying, a church praying, 
God's people praying. And we buried him in a little coffin right there in that spot just a couple of years ago. Why? The other day in my community, one of the boys, three boys, Muslims, uh, that were in that car wreck on I-20 at the Warrington exit on their way to Atlanta to take one to the airport and the other two were going to a concert. And they were, they hydroplaned and went across the median and an 18-wheeler hit them and took all of them into eternity quicker than you could turn the windshield off of their car. One of the boys lived two houses down from me and I have been involved in that cul-de-sac where I live with these people asking why. At 19 years old, a good kid, they say. And yet he was snuffed out, taken out into eternity. Uh, why did cancer, and does cancer get so many at a young age? Why did God let me be born into a family who molested me? Why didn't he stop it? You see, these are all legitimate questions, and you're not a bad Christian or a faithless one, nor are you a non-existent Christian because you have such questions. Tonight I'm going to do my best, if I can, to try to help you and try to encourage you to know that though we live in a right-to-know generation... We live in a generation uh, uh, and a society that demands an explanation on everything. Oh, yeah, they sure do. We think just like the federal agencies of the government that God ought to operate under the Freedom of Information Act. God ought to come out of heaven and explain to us why so-and-so and such-and-such and the whys of life. I found out one thing, ladies and gentlemen. God is not in the business of tick-tocking to your Mickey Mouse watch. What God does, He's sovereign with a sovereign purpose. I have to go through it just like you do. You have to go through it just like I do. So there's no big me's and little me's here tonight. It's just us's. You can come down here tonight and give your life to Jesus. And I guarantee you, you'll have a bucket load of trouble. You can pray until you're blue in the face. And it does make a difference. And God does listen. And God does hear. And praise God, He does answer. And He does let hell break loose. It rains on the just and the unjust. And it's going to happen. I don't have any right to drag God out of heaven and make Him tell me what I want or need to hear. Where is the faith in absolute knowledge? What God doesn't tell me, I don't need to know. And what God does tell me will last through the trial and through the trouble. God, I feel a little preach coming on. I... I, I never seen this till the Lord pointed it out to me just recently. But in the book of Job, 37 chapters, 37 chapters, except for God talking to the devil twice, he never.
Potiphar answers Job. Thirty-seven chapters. He never gets involved. Thirty-seven chapters. You don't hear from God. Have you ever thought about it? He never up and spoke to Job as Job wished he would until the 38th chapter. And he did it in verse 4. Job cracked off at him, really. Job said, Why, in the name of common sense, don't you do something about my plight? God took all he could do and, and took all he could take. And he said this, Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. <laughs> Thirty-seven and a half chapters, and God don't say anything. And when He does, it's basically, you wouldn't even be here asking this question if I hadn't have made you, bud. <laughs> Never had seen that, but it helped me, and I appreciated it, and thank the Lord for it. I know tonight now that some of you got problems some of you got difficulties, and you feel less a Christian because you're not hyper and jumping the, the wall and jumping up in the chair. I tell you what, I have learned to jump up in the pew and shout when I got trouble. I don't do it just because I don't have a problem. I've learned how to do it with my burden hanging on my back. I've learned how to do it with my burden staring me in the face. I've learned how to do it when I feel good and when I don't feel good because it ain't got nothing to do with feeling. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. And all I have to do is follow. And you're here and you wonder why in the name of God and common sense am I going through some of the problems? I want to give you a basic, simple thought in conclusion. I want to give you three reasons. Number one, because of the curse we received. Because of the curse that we received. Romans 5.1 says, Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And that simply means all have sin in them, and their nature is prone to sin. One fellow said in the studies that I was reading, he said 95% of the problems that happen to God's people it's because of their sin nature that they didn't have a thing to do with. They inherited it from our forefather in the garden. Are you listening? We have problems and difficulties because of the curse that we received. We started off in a penalty box situation. It was first and thirty when we started out. And the difficulties that we're having is because through that sin nature, Satan works. Satan moves. Satan is real. How many of you believe that? Holy amen. And there's a whole lot of 
cropped off theologians running around this country talking about, well, Jesus just mentioned the devil to scare all of us into a right attitude and to bring us in line. There ain't no place called hell. We had some folks here in the past. Praise God, they're not here now, and they ain't coming back until they change this little ideology. They believe hell was not a real place. God just used it for a fear factor. They're still trying to get over what I told them. And you'd be surprised at people that get caught up in that. But let me tell you, He'll work through that sin nature. He'll move through that carnality. He'll move to stop you in your tracks. He'll move to balance what God's doing in your life. He'll move to try to subvert what God said. He'll move to try to sabotage God's will in your life because He's able to communicate with the half of you that's corrupt. I have a friend by the name of Buddy Thigpen. Buddy pastored up in Gainesville, Georgia for years. I used to preach for him when he was a pastor. And he submitted his life to the mission field. And he started out on deputation, had three of the prettiest little girls you ever seen in your life. This boy was way yonder better Christian than most that I knew then. And... uh Many that I know now, old buddy, he could just live for God. He loved him. One night they was in a church in Chattanooga, the other side of Chattanooga on 75 going toward Knoxville. He had first or second deputation appointment. And he preaches and uh, everything's wonderful and he's dedicated his life. He was running a little... uh, a van, a little Chrysler van. And he went out to get the car to get his folks in the car. And his oldest child, when he got in the car, ran after him and he didn't know it. And he backed up and backed over and killed her. He said, when I came around, I didn't even know it. When I turned around, I seen my wife running and the church members running. And he said, there in the parking lot, I saw my baby. And I thought, oh God, what have I done? Let me say something to you. I don't know what kind of problem you have tonight or what kind of pressure you might have received from some incident. But it could have been worse. You don't know what I've been through, preacher. No, but I know what, buddy. He had to get out of his car, he said, and pick up the remains. To die of cancer was disease's problem. To die of leukemia was a disease problem. To die because of cancer was unavoidable. But to kill your grandbaby or kill your own child in an accident. He went for months. He couldn't get going again. It's understandable. He went for a period of time. Many of us thought he'd never open his Bible again. And the devil was throwing a party hat and blowout in hell. 
And one day, he said God crawled up in the gable end of his soul and began to work with him and say, he said, The Lord giveth, and the Lord, not the preacher, the Lord taketh away. He said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, this is not something you've done on purpose. This is not something you brought on yourself on purpose. This is not something you deliberately did. This is not something you conjured up premeditatedly. He said, this is something that I got something to do with. You take that gospel, you pick up that Bible, and you go for God again, and go now. He said, he rose up out of his own ashes and felt as the spirit of Job was on him. He said, I started toward the mission field. He's there now. Teaching. And if he was to come here tonight and testify, he'd tell you this. The devil was working through my sin nature to try to do what he could to stop my spiritual man from glorifying him. Are you listening to what I'm telling you tonight? It's important that we see one of the reasons that we have problems and difficulties and things happen to us, and their whys we cannot answer, is because of the curse that we received. Number two, and I'll finish this briefly in a moment. Then number two, the choices that we rendered. Ladies and gentlemen, it is vitally important that you know something tonight. The most important thing for you is not baptism. That is imperative, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing to you is not to be a member of this church. We hope everybody in town ends up here, don't we? Amen. I'd love to be a blessing to as many as I could. And I'm not here to shut them out or shut them away. But the most important thing is not necessarily that you become a member of this church. Put this in your hat. Put this in your Bible. Put this somewhere in your mind. The most important thing you can ever do is have the wisdom of God in your life to make the right decisions so that you can follow the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> A thought comes to my mind. You two boys, when you first came here and sat right there on that third row where the Hancocks are seated, you came here looking for God's will, wondering what you're going to do. You were already in Bible school in Tennessee. And when God spoke to you, girlfriend, job, home, ease of life, companionship of daddy, oh, good church, good people, you gave me a lot of reasons. And then you said, but God has spoken to me to come here. Now I want to ask you something. Where would you be in the mix of things tonight at home? Had not you, everything you thought was precious, everything you thought was dear, everything that you thought was permanent, everything that you thought was going to work out, everything that you thought was always, everything that you thought was eternal, has now blown to smithereens and look at God building a hedge around your life. What would it have done to you and your spirit had you been caught up in what we both know was a mess? Listen to me. The choices today. I was in the building 
And there was a guy down there, bless his heart, he's a sheetrock hanger. He's a redneck. Uh, I was telling him the other night over at Anderson, there's a thing now in Christendom and in church building that is called target groups. Uh, churches are targeting the groups that they wish to reach. They're looking for that one with the sweater tied around his neck and got a key to a BMW in his, in his pocket so that he can be advantageous to them. They target people of their own liking and the whosoever will ain't. And they target they have target groups now. I've gotten mail and literature and seminar invitations. Come and find your target group. I have decided. I have a group I have targeted. I am targeting the rednecks of North Augusta. I got most of them in here tonight. My target group is a redneck church. They don't have a sweater. It's rolling the shirt up and got their name on the side. Susan's name over here done broke up with Susan 25 years ago. But they walking around. Hallelujah. When you put ER on hallelujah, you're a redneck. Target group. This boy ought to be a deacon. This one down here in the building. He is a redneck. He wears his hard hat sometimes. The superintendent that stays on him all the time. And he said, it hurts my head. I thought to myself, why? Why would it? There ain't nothing in there to have a nerve in me. <laughs> Today, I'm talking to him. Just general conversation. And... And I, th- th- those boys down through time, uh, stay with you as long as they've been here. They get to know who you are and how you act and, and who brings them a Coca-Cola and who gives them water. And, and he he come up to me today. He said, I don't know why in the world. I got a problem. I got it. He said, I, I, need, I need you to pray for me. He's 45 years old, I know. And he had a cigarette about that long. Took three people, two to hold it and one to light it, to smoke it. He said, I need you to pray. Because I tell you, it's hot and I can't hardly breathe. <laughs> and, 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 and I said, I said, son, what do you want me to say? What would you, if I ask you to pray for me, and I was, I was smoking on a, on a cigarette uh, uh, a foot and a half long. What would you want me to tell God? What would you want me to help him light it, Jesus? Hold it for him, Lord, so he can get all the nicotine out. Don't let him drop it, Lord, because you know they cost plenty of money now. Bless him as he smokes it, God. You see, what he wanted me to do was to negate in his situation, the law of sowing and reaping. But verse...
verses in Galatians 6, 7, and 8 tell us, Whatsoever a man smoketh shall choketh. That's what I would have said. If I... You say, well, I just, I, I, I can't tell you how I started. Ain't nobody held you down, stuck it in there, and flicked their bick. And if they did, you can break the curse by a choice. You say, it ain't that easy. We ain't talking about easy. We're talking about living. What's easier? Making a choice to do right or which funeral home you want me to bury you in? Because somebody's going to make a choice. Another one down there. He said, I done... I need you to pray for me too, preacher. I said, what's wrong? He's one of them electricians. He come by and heard us, and he was standing there talking. He said, I got a liver problem. He said, I've been waiting for a transplant. They won't give me one. And I said, I know why they don't give people liver transplants. It's because they're still doing what they're doing to kill the one God gave them. What are you doing? He said, well, I got a problem. I said, yeah. And it's, it's the problem you got is not an over-excessive liver. You're never going to get a liver until you make the choice to stop sucking that booze. A little old girl says, I love my boyfriend. And I just can't help it. It's an ooey-gooey relationship. She comes around me and he comes around me and I just melt like wax in the sun. And whatever I got to do to have him, I will. So she does. And she starts swelling up like pumpkins in October. Before you know it, she's carrying an illicit baby, an unbiblical relationship, a bad choice. And then she pulls him into a relationship to where guilt traps him. And they think they're going to have a great home. They come to my class, sit in here, and I say, I say, tell me what's the problem. He don't meet my need. She don't meet my need. He don't help me. She don't help me. But the truth of the matter is, it goes back to the pregnancy. She trapped me, and I don't like her. And she's saying, he done me wrong, and he wasn't nearly what I thought he was. And you see, both have made a choice. Now, the whys in life, all of them are not going to be answered. But why you have cancer, and why your lungs don't function, and why this don't work, and it's not all because of what I mentioned. There are other causes, and there are other cases, and you know that. And I'm not putting anybody down that has that problem with that habit. I'm just telling you, I don't have to put you down. You're putting yourself down about as quick as anybody needs to. And what we need to do is join our hands and hearts and pray for one another to make the right, am I right about it? Make the right choice in what we do so we won't get crazy in the end. Are you listening? I'm dealing in a situation now where a child has retardation. They're not in this ministry. A child has a retardation 
And I, I just, after four or five hours of talk, I just got to the bottom of the reason of the child's problem was a venereal disease that he gave her. And after they married, they was living with the mentality and living with the information of why. And every time they look at that baby, they know why. And they're having a hard time living with it. Let me say something. Some of the whys you have... And the answers that you don't have to them could be a blessing because if you did know sometimes the why of your problem, it could run you crazy. God may be salvaging your mentality. Number two, the choices that we render. Number three, the companions that we relish. You know why some things happen to us? We just have a weakness of hanging out and hooking up with the wrong people. That's all there is to it. Church people are not guaranteed good friends. Can somebody holler at me and say, Amen? You don't need to, just because you're sitting under a steeple, you don't need to come up and fall down on this altar and give your life to Christ and turn around and look and expect everybody here to be a perfect friend. I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. I don't know the rest of it, but I know Him. I'm going to tell you something. What you are is a direct evidence of who you hang around with. Your cursed nature is in the hand of Satan, and he will come around and use that cursed nature to curse you. Do you know you're one-third saved? I mean, two-thirds saved and one-third still lost. Did you know that? You say, where would you get that? The Word of God says, the Holy Spirit lives in my spirit. I have the Spirit of God, and my soul is saved, and my spirit is saved. But what you are listening to and looking at here tonight on display, preaching this message, is not saved. This ain't never going to be saved. It's got to be replaced by another body because this one don't even qualify. But in the one-third that's not saved, the unsaved powers of darkness communicate and facilitate. And the way He works in our lives to try to disengage us from God is through the flesh. And guess what? There's nothing you can do about retarding Satan from coming after you. There's nothing you can do uh, to stop Satan from gunning for you. There's nothing you can do that to have a guarantee that Satan will leave you alone, except be around a place like this where people can enshroud you with prayer and be around a place like this where the Holy Ghost can move in and protect you. Let me ask you this. What are sinners doing tonight who have no Savior 
out there in this world with the way things are going and what we're seeing and hearing and all of the problems and the perplexities of life that are going on. Let me ask you something. What are sinners without a Savior doing? You could still be there. But the Holy Ghost brought you in by mercy and grace and blood. And that's why we ought to come to church and act like wild Comanche Indians because, praise God, He saved us and He's made a blessed place in our teepee. And thank God we're smoking a peace pipe with God and we have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Are you listening? Satan's going to work, but prayer wards him off. Hedges built around a man. I have felt the power of prayer. I was preaching on Monday night. God got on me. It got so good. I mean to tell you, it was just absolutely a blessing. And I came home today, been working here most of the day, and I had several people tell me, we've been praying for you ever since Monday. We prayed Tuesday. Had to go last night. We begged God to jump on you with both feet. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, there's one thing He can't take, and that's a bunch of people praying for a bunch of people to have God's power on their life. And then choices that we render. I want to tell you something. Seek the wisdom of God. Seek God's face. Seek God's mercy. Seek God's wisdom. And then the, the companions that we relish. I think it's strange. Let me say this and quit. I was reading this week about Samson. The Bible says in, in Judges 14, Samson goes to his mother and daddy. You know already, don't you, that the, the dad picked the wife for the Israeli boy? Some of y'all be in deep trouble. But they, they picked the wife in Jewish history. In strict Judaism, Orthodox Jews... Still do it in Jerusalem. And they picked the, the, the boy's wife. But Samson came to his mother and his daddy. He said, there's a woman at Timnath that I want you to get for me. I want you to put your approval on her. And I want her because she's good to me. And all that means basically is, for she pleaseth me well. His fish sexually interacted with this woman and he wanted her because of feeling. The daddy said, can't you come a little closer home and find somebody of the women of the, of the Israelites, one of the tribes, and marry in the will of God while he stomped his little devilish feet and decided he'd have his wife. I want her! And before it was over, he ended up in the land of of the Philistines. And three different times that was another woman. And then he met up with Delilah. She punched his lights out. She wreaked havoc. She came to him and said, what's the source of your strength? He told her one thing and it was not true. She came back and said, what is the source of your strength? Now listen, I am not—I am—I am not a brilliant human being. I'm not a smart cookie. I mean, if the pumpkin truck was loaded tonight and I was on the tailgate, I could fall off of it. But—but I would have picked up after the second time. And then there was another third time. She said, "You do not love me. You lied to me." 
Why don't you tell me the truth while you're streaming? What business is it of yours? I want to ask you something. Three different times she conned him. And all three times, stupid, stupid, stupid was written right on his forehead. And he went right into it thinking he could whip it because he had already whipped in the past. He thought he'd jump up and he shook himself after he laid his head in her lap. And all of a sudden his strength was gone. He gouged his eyes out and he died a miserable death because of the companion he kept. How many times do you think Samson grinding at the mill with a donkey in front and a donkey in the back, and he's going around. How many times you thought, oh God, why? Why, Lord, did you let this happen? Sometimes do we get as dumb as him? Why, oh God, am I still like this? Lord, everything was going so good. Why? Because of the choice you made to have the companion that you did not need. Now, there may be some other reasons why God don't run to our rescue, but tonight, those are three that will swim. And I took them basically right out of my life. I wonder tonight, if you're here, wondering why something happened And you never thought about the curse. But Satan worked through the side that he's capable of working through to try to kill you. But isn't God good to keep you? Even though you're vulnerable. Number two, how about, I didn't know it was about choices. Some of you fellows from the mission, choices. If I was to ask you, how many of you have children? How many of you had a family? How many of you have a wife? How many of you have babies? How many of you have memories? How many of you have a past that choices ruined? I want to tell you something tonight. You do not have to let it keep going to the third and fourth generation. You can break that curse by simply turning your life over to God and start turning around and making the right statements in Jesus' name. Give Him praise if you believe it. I never have thought of companions. When I first got saved, the first thing I'd done, I hunted me some new buddies. You know why? Because that last crowd that I had didn't do me real well. If I didn't have a little money in my pocket, they didn't want to hang around. If there wasn't a cussing fit going on, they wasn't even talking. I mean, they lived in open rebellion and immorality against God. And after I got saved, I started finding some people who had decent sense. I started finding some people who went to the right places. I started finding some people who had the right things. I started finding some people that talked the right talk. I found people who listened to the right stuff. I found people who could go to the right places. I hooked up and started hanging out with some folks that have good sense. And I learned some wisdom. Stand up. How many of you would find you a place on this altar and say, God, many of my whys have not been answered. But I want to come tonight and ask you to help me 
with the wives that I have. And those things that I do not need to know about, Lord, I give to you. And we need to have an old-fashioned commitment service on this altar and say, what I do not know about, I don't have to worry about. And God will see me through. Steve, play. Our Father, we bow our head tonight and thank you for the truth. And now we bow our head tonight and ask you to help us live it. It's not hard to preach. It's not hard.